Praise God. Okay, today's text is taken from Proverbs 21. We'll be studying the book of uh, the chapter Proverbs 21. And I will read. It should come up on the screen. I will read it. It says, The king's art is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their hearts. The Lord is more pleased with the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to do what is just. The guilty walk a crooked path. The innocent travel a straight road. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Evil people desire evil. Their neighbors get no mercy from them. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. If you instruct the wise, they will, be all, they will be all the wiser. The righteous one knows what is going on in the homes of the wicked. He will bring disaster on them. Those who shock their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. A secret gift calms anger. A bribe under the table pacifies fury. Justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. The person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead. Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. The wicked are punished in place of the godly and traitors in place of the honest. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and honor. The wise conquer the city of the strong and level the fortress in which they trust. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut. You will stay out of trouble. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. The sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives. A false witness will be cut off, but a credible witness will be allowed to speak. The wicked bluff their way through, but the virtuous think before they act. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we go into the study and um, we'll be starting with an opening, opening question. And uh, the, the question is that going by the scriptures in Proverbs 21.1, which says that the king's art is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Amen. It's like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. So the question is, is it God that is directing the leaders of Nigeria? Anybody wants to answer? Any hands? Hello. Is it a tough question? We just read the scripture. So my question is, is it God that is directing the leaders of Nigeria, for example? You know, since we are saying that God is the one that the heart of kings is directed. So anybody wants to answer? I'm going to point at someone if you don't raise up your hand. We know the answer now. 
But we don't know the answer. Anybody help me here now. Come on, guys. Nobody wants to. Mrs. Amadon, you want to help? Yes, she wants to help. Is it God that is directing the hearts of our leaders? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the living Jesus. Hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> for what we have read in this book of um, Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1, said um, it's God that is directing the hearts of the king. Said the hearts of the king are in the hands of God. So God directs it to wheresoever place that pleases him. Um, for the leaders of Nigeria, well, I will not say it's, uh, <laughs> it's God that is directing them because <laughs> for what they are doing, it's only God that will help us because um, that book that we read said we should not um, speak evil against all our leaders. For me, I, I didn't I, say you should speak evil. I'm just asking. I, I, is well, it God or not? <laughs> I cannot say it's God. <laughs> For what they are doing, I can't say it's God that is directing. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? I want to help us. Thank you very much, Ma. Anybody else? Okay. I'll just point at Ibitunde. Give the mic to Ibitunde to help us. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. Why don't you think so? Because the scripture says, says uh, otherwise. It's a tough question. Um, <laughs> because the... Uh, so God has the ability to, to direct the hearts of man. But I think it's the ones that yield to him that he directs. Okay. That's what I think. So our own leaders are not yielding. So I don't that's think why so. it's not directing. I don't think so. Amen. Okay, there's a hand at the back there. Is there one in front also? In the choir, okay. So yeah, we'll take Christian. Oh, okay, two dead and the choir the, then we'll Praise the Lord. Forward. All right, sir. Thank you. Um I was trying to look for a scripture. I can't remember where it is. It was that part where um David was king. He just become king. And the Bible says that David understood that God had made him king for the benefit of his people, Israel. Good government is supposed to be for the people, for them to have great life and reach their life. So the question to that is, I don't believe God is the one directing our leaders in Nigeria. However, because we have bad governance in Nigeria. However, God is sovereign. I believe God is sovereign. He has the ability to intervene um, in the lives of these leaders regarding certain decisions in our country. Um, I'm not very old, but I know that time upon time, we've seen God intervene, even through these leaders, you know, to bring about salvation for our country. Thank you. So it is God or not? <laughs> yes, do you want to answer that? Or you, are, you just want to... You want to rest? Okay, Christian, then Joy. Or Joy, do you have a mic? Yeah. Right, go ahead, Joy. Okay, uh, praise God. I believe it's God that is directing the hearts of um, the leaders in Nigeria. I would, um, there, there might not be good governance, okay, but I will use the example in the Bible, like in the life of Pharaoh. God had to harden his heart so that he can glorify himself. So for Nigeria, I'm sure it's the same thing that's going to happen. God is hardening their hearts so he alone will take all the glory when the change comes. Amen. Thank you. Amen. 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 Okay. All right, sir. Yeah. Okay. Um, same to me. Um, the, the king's... I think the president of Nigeria is part of the king that the scripture is referring to. Secondly, uh, I don't think they are doing worse than what Nebuchadnezzar did. So I believe if God 
also directed the affairs of Nebuchadnezzar and in all, it was part of his plan. It means Nigeria and the government that we're seeing today is also part of God's plan. It is for him to show forth his glory. Yes, he said, gross darkness will cover the land. That's what we're saying. Except if we say, okay, it's not gross darkness. It's gross darkness we are seeing. And it has been prophesied. So we key into it and God will be glorified in it. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, so I tend to agree with the last two responses because of uh, some of the examples they've given. God is sovereign, all right? And there's none of us that can do anything out of what he permits. Amen. He, he, and uh, he, like uh, Joy said, when Moses was going to Pharaoh, I was telling him, let my people go. This will happen. Let my people go. The Bible says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So all the wrong, that, all the bad mistakes that Pharaoh was making, it was God. Why? So that he would be able to take them out of Egypt with, a, with such might and such glory. And today, thousands of years after, we will be learning about that and, and learning from that experience. So I'm convinced, and it's comforting for me, that whatever it is that is happening right now, I mean, think about it. God said ahead that the children of Israel were going to go into a foreign land and they will be treated badly. They will be slaves for 400 years. All that 400 years, what that meant is that the children of Israel will be looking at their leaders and saying, ah, these people are teaching us badly. But God was the one that said it will happen, meaning that everything is just part of God's big plan. So Nigeria being where it is right now, I have an assurance that someday, very soon, things are going to change. And God's name will be glorified. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we go into... That was just to warm us up a little. All right. <laughs> Very controversial. <laughs> All right. We'll, um, the, the first... Uh, the, the, the book of Proverbs chapter 21, each of the verses on its own is almost like a complete message. So what I now did was I, I tried to juggle the verses that have similar messages and put them all together so that we can just take them one at a time. So, for, so the, the first one we'll be talking about, the first topics, topic that we'll be talking about has about three verses and we started touching on it already. Uh, and that comes from verse, um, verses, Proverbs 21, verses 1, verses 30 and 31. Kings, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, verse 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. What this is saying to me is that no matter how much power, no matter how much you can plan, no matter how much wisdom that you have, it is God that ultimately determines when you get victory. It is God alone. You can do everything you want to do. You can make all your plans. You can do all your scheming. God's will will stand eventually. And there's nothing that we can do about that. No matter how much authority that you have, no matter how much knowledge that you have, all of that cannot guarantee you victory. And that's the, the first thing you'll be outlining there. Worldly authority, knowledge alone, cannot guarantee victory. Only alignment with Jesus can guarantee true and lasting victory. Only when you align with Jesus can you, can you be guaranteed of the true and lasting victory. No human, I mean, Vastetti emphasizes, there's no human wisdom or understanding or plan. It's good for us to be educated. It's good for us to have the ability to, 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 to make a plan, to, to, to go to school, to get knowledge. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's very good. But no matter how much knowledge you gather, 
it cannot stand against the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, there, there, there are some people today that believe that uh, the, the amount of education you have is actually what should, should, should give you reason to believe that God does not exist. I mean, how, how does that even begin to start, I mean, start? But that is the direction of where the world is want, wants us to begin to reason, thinking that, ah, ah, you have a brain, sit down. How, can, how is it even po logically possible that someone will write in a book that Jesus came and he came through a Virgin Mary? How does that even sound? Knowledge says it is not possible. But we know that the Bible tells us, and we believe it, that the Spirit of God came upon Mary and she conceived and she gave birth to our Lord Jesus. You can't learn that in a science class because it is not scientifically possible. You don't, I mean, praise the Lord. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Just like some of the testimonies that we're going to be hearing on Saturday about what God did here on Sunday. It will not be scientifically possible. You will not be able to understand it. It goes beyond science, but that is how God functions. No human wisdom can stand against the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, we move on to the next uh, set of uh, verses. And it talks about marital disputes. You know, when I was reading this, it's just amazing that in the same chapter, it talks about the, the same thing exactly, I mean, twice. Um, verse, nine, verse 9 says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home the Bible even emphasizes their lovely home. So you may step into the house everywhere. is looking paparazzi, looking very nice. But when you're in such a house and you have a quarrelsome wife, I mean, they talk about wife. It could also be a, the husband. If you have a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome husband, the Bible says that it is better for you to go and live in an attic. I see some men smiling. Maybe they can understand what I'm talking about. It is... Not a comfortable experience. It, it, it 19, again, repeats it in the same chapter. Repeats it twice. It says, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Quarrelsome, complaining wife. That is better to live in the desert. So when I was reading this, I was asking myself, so why, why would someone just be a quarrelsome person? Whether it's the wife or the husband now, why, what, what could make it happen? Why would someone just be a quarrelsome person? Let's think about it. Anybody wants to help here? Why would, why, I mean, I'm sure we know people that are quarrelsome, or maybe we are even the ones that are quarrelsome. Maybe you just want to share your thoughts. Why? What makes someone to just appear to be quarrelsome every time? Anybody? Am I asking too much tough questions tonight? Eh? Sorry? You have an answer. Okay, that's can choir. Okay, okay Charles I think also. Someone there's someone here raising his hand also. Yes. I, I think stress can cause it. Okay. If um, that fellow is stressed, um, it can become quarrelsome. And then another thing I think is um, if the person is not He's seeing things repeatedly and he's not able to communicate it to that fellow, okay? And you keep building it without speaking out. It might also lead to it. Okay, so stress and uh, unexpressed, unexpressed... Expressed emotions. Unexpressed emotions, okay? So stress and unexpressed emotions can cause someone to become quarrelsome. Charles. Okay. Let's Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I think the personality can be a problem. Uh, apparently, everybody have one fault or the other. Mm. It's just for us to deal with it. So if you are prone to anger, there is that tendency to flare up little things. So you need to deal with it mm. before it consumes yourself. Okay, praise the Lord. So personality can, I mean, affect how quarrelsome you appear to be. I'm using the word appear to be because 
that's not really who you are. It's just some uh, emotions that are not controlled, and that's why it's coming out. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Um, expectations also leads to it. A lot of people come into marriage with uh, myriads of, uh, I mean, phantasmagoric uh, expectations. Fanta what? <laughs> Fantasmagoric <laughs> expectations, expectations that are not unmeetable. Uh, wow. Okay. A lot of people just come into marriage like that. They think marriage is a euphoria, a fantasy. I mean, your father was poor. In marriage, you're going to meet the, the love of your life. They don't know that it's what you bring into marriage that you actually will rip from. It's, it's what you sow into marriage that you actually you know, withdraw from. So when they're not meeting these expectations, then they let loose their anger, it descends on the man. Everything he does is wrong. If he walks, is wrong. If he talks, if he like, you know, cutting off the man's head, it's just like that. So most times people should sit down, educate themselves on why am I getting married? What am I actually bringing into the marriage? So when you're bringing something into the marriage, it's those things you can actually take away from here. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, there's one more comment at the back there before. So, on expectations, high expectations, people have read, um, what's this book called now? I don't know if it's still available now. Mills and Boons. Do you know Mills and Boons? They still read, are those books still around? No? Oh, Okay. I'm old school. Yes, sir. All right. Um, I was reading the book, Five Love Languages. And um, if you realize one thing, once you are not able to speak the love language of your spouse, you are not able to communicate what love is to him or her. They find every other thing you do, and they complain about it. So f the first thing you must do is discover the love language of your spouse. Once you're able to meet it, you reduce the amount of quarrel. But once you're not able to meet that, every other thing you lay you do, even if it is the other part of her love language that doesn't speak about her primary love language, she doesn't take anything out of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's very, very true. Very, very true. Praise God. All right, so um, we, we, we've touched on a lot of points which are very valid. Uh, but... Um, I'd like to talk about two things. Uh, um, one we, is one of the things that, one of the topics that we talk about in marriage counseling. If anybody's married there and you've gone, you were married in God's first house, you probably would have learned about it. And it's talking about temperaments, which is what uh, Charles touched on. We all have different temperaments that we are not totally in control of. It's, it's been formed over the years based on our experiences, based on our background, based on where, how we grew up, what we learned, the kind of schools we went to. It has now formed us. And the temperament you have, you have to first of all understand what that temperament is. Now, whatever it is that your temperament is, that does not make you good or bad or better than your spouse, or worse than your spouse. It just makes you who you are. And when you understand who you are, it helps you to be able to relate with your partner. And that's the first step. The second step is for you to also now understand the temperament of your spouse or your, of your partner, and it helps you to be able to relate with your partner very well. There's a book we use in the marriage Mar counseling called... Um, Model Marriage by Doug Howard Mills. It's a book I would recommend for anybody that's married, that uh, whether you are fighting or you have a quarrelsome spouse, it's not the issue. That book is an ideal book for every, any married couple to have. And I, I know it's going to be a blessing for everybody. So um, to avoid living in an attic, I think you should get, get the book. Praise the Lord. Um, second thing we, we, we can pick out of here is... is uh, well, you said I, I said I was going to talk about two things. Now, Pastor also taught us a, a while back um, a principle that has helped him in his marriage has helped me, and I think it will help all of us. He says that 
the way, the way Pastor quotes it. It says, in the, in the essentials in marriage, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we show love. What do I mean? As a couple, it's important that you sit and agree on what you consider are essentials in your marriage. What, is, what, what does that mean? Essentials are things that you, you know that it is foundational to the marriage, it's something that is key, and you have to have an agreement up front on it. On those essentials, you have to have a unified approach. You have to have a unified uh, response to it. So what, 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 what does that mean? For example, I'll give an example. If, for instance, you, you get married, an essential for you could be that you must both attend the same church. That's not up for discussion. Once you agree it as an essential, it's no longer going to be up for discussion. So, for, so, so you don't wake up on a Sunday morning and your wife or your husband says he wants to sit down and watch a series on TV when you are going to church. If you've agreed on, on it that it's going to be an essential and you have, you, you have a unified response, which is we are going to church every Sunday and it's the same church, it settles that matter once and for all. Now, where there is usually a lot of fights in, in marriages is the non-essentials. What do I mean by non-essential? Um, let's take an example of, say, um, you like having your food um, hmm? hot. And one of one, we are married. One person likes having his food hot. Another person likes having his food. Yeah, okay, maybe spicy. Yeah, spicy is actually a very good example. Thank you very much, Amanda. So one person likes a lot of pepper. The other person doesn't like a lot of pepper. Now, if you like pepper or you don't like pepper, that's for me would be a non-essential. But people fight over it. So the husband comes home, he doesn't like pepper, or let's say he likes pepper. The wife doesn't put enough pepper. And that can be a major bone of contention. So what do you do on those kind of things? You reach an agreement up front, and we agree and say, okay, look, this one is a non-essential. I know you don't like pepper, so that we don't fight over this. Is that how you say, okay, I will adjust and not be taking as much pepper as I want, or you two... You adjust and start taking pepper, and everybody moves on. But once you have it as a non-essential and you agree on what you do, everybody chooses, or you decide as, okay, you're going to be making two pots of stew. It's a non-essential, so you, you take it, address it as a non-essential because it will not determine whether you go to hell or not, or whether you make heaven or not. But it's not worth the fight. Two pots of stew sorts the fight. Or, I mean, let's put it in, in, in proper context. The Bible says that it is better for you to sleep in an attic than to stay in the house with a quarrelsome wife. So choose. Do you want to sleep in the attic or you want to make an extra pot of stew? Which is the easier choice? Praise the Lord. So that suddenly makes it very clear and easy to address Quarrel, banished. And final point, he says, in all things, we show love. Meaning that every other thing that's, uh, that is in, matters in the, in the, in the, in the relationship, you, you, are, you address it from a love point, not a condemnation point, not a judgmental, uh, you don't take a judgmental view or a condemnation, you don't condemn your partner, you address every other issue based on love. And when we do this, I have seen that marital disputes can significantly reduce. Praise the Lord. Oh, time is flying. Third, third area to address there, we talked about finances, and we have about five, six chapters that addresses that, and I'll run through them very quickly. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, 
but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now, for, for, for this generation that we are in right now, the, the, the opposite of what we just read now is what the gener this generation wants. Uh, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But that directly for me means that you work hard, you earn hard, you earn well. But in this generation right now, they want to work little and earn plenty. And doesn't work that way. And unfortunately, going back to our leaders, they're selling it to us like that's how it should be. But it shouldn't be. Good planning and hard work is not even an option. It's not for you to choose one. It's not like you plan alone and you leave hard work. Or neither is it that you do hard work and you don't plan. It's actually a combination of both that leads to prosperity. Verse 6 says, Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Wealth created by a lying tongue. 419. Internet scams, internet fraud. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist. A mist is something you can't hold on to. You see it before you can touch it, it vaporizes. That is exactly how it is when you live a life based on that. It is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. It never lasts and it only destroys your future. Never lasts and it only destroys your future. Why am I saying destroys your future? I've seen people that 15, 20 years ago, that's what they were doing. Today, they are practically useless to themselves. Because they are not, they, they are now old. They are not as young as the newer guys that are doing it. So they can't even keep pace with what they are doing. They are no longer relevant. And guess what? For the past 20 years, they've not developed any skills to help themselves, to be able to earn legitimate income. So right now, they're living like a waste. And I, I mean, I, I can't stand there and be mentioning names, but there are so many, there are some popular people that if I mention their names, you will know them. In the late 80s, early 90s, popular guys, that that's what everybody knew they were doing. And they were, I mean, praise, song, praise singers were singing about them. But today, where are they? If they are not in jail, they are in their villages rotting away. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. It traps you. That will not be your portion in the name of Jesus. Verse 17 says, those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. That's the scripture. Never. Those who love what? Those who love what? Wine and luxury will never be rich. A lot of times people meet me, say they are drinking, I don't talk, I don't argue, I don't have an issue with that. I leave them. Oh, and they are, they, 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 would I not condemn or judge them or correct them at uh, whether they are Christians or not? I don't know. The Bible says you won't be rich. If you are okay with that, it's fine. It's fine. The Bible says you are going to be poor. It says never, never be rich. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. If you're okay with that, it's fine. We don't stand, at least in GFH, we don't stand up on the pulpit and say, ah, don't drink, don't smoke, don't worry. That's what the scripture says. Hallelujah. Verse 20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Savings is important. It is a habit you must form. It's not something to, I mean, you don't, you don't start saving when you have excess. You start saving so that you can have excess. Praise God. You don't start saving when it's comfortable. You start saving so that it can be comfortable for you. It's a habit that you must develop. It's a habit you must develop. And, and, and there are different, I mean, we've talked about this, uh, I mean, Pastor taught us in depth uh, when we were talking about um, thinking clearly about your finances, you know. So 
but savings is, an, is a habit. Where, where a wise, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. What that also trans, means is that the wise don't spend whatever they get. It's not when they become wealthy that they start saving. They start saving from wherever it is, whatever it is they are. If you are earning 20,000 naira a month today and you can't save, trust me, when you earn 200,000 naira a month, you will struggle to save. You will struggle to save. I was, uh, I mean, I had a guy that was um, working for me uh, on my farm. It was earning just 25,000 naira a month. Then he told me he wanted to leave, so I just engaged him. Okay, so what does he want to do? This and that, blah, blah, blah. And he told me that uh, he has, that he's planning to go back to school, that he's been working for the last two years. He has saved up almost 200,000 naira. I was shocked. Someone earning 25K a month in two, less than two years had saved up to almost 200,000 naira a month. That is a sign of someone that's going to be great. And you can easily tell because its attitude, its behavior from all the other staff is, I mean, if I was to rate him on a scale of one to ten, if I'm giving him nine, the others are on maybe like two or three. It tells. It's obvious. So savings is not something that is an option. It is something that you must develop as an habit and let it be just part of you by force. Praise God. Verse 25 says, despair, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Despite their desires, despite their dreams, the lazy will come to ruin because of their hands refuse to work. What that means is that dreams do not, dreams, dreams do come true only when you work it. Dreams do come true only when you work it. Dreams don't just come true on their own. You don't wake up in the morning and have a fantastic idea and expect a fantastic idea to turn to money in your bank account. No. You take that idea, you make a plan, you execute on it, you learn, you execute, you improve on it. That's when it turns to wealth for you. But a lazy man is too... Oh, just thinking... Up there, you know, someone that has not handled uh, a business of 50,000 naira is telling you that you ah, he has a beautiful idea that will require 50 million. Then he's going around with a proposal, very flimsy proposal most times, and wants an investor to put in 50 million naira, someone that has not done on, worked on 50,000. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin. Verse 26 says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. The godly knows that the wealth he has is not for him. He knows that the wealth that has been, uh, that has been given to him by God is not for him and his enjoyment alone. Yes, he will enjoy the wealth he has, yes. But it's not for him ultimately. That's why he loves to give. He's looking for people to bless because he knows that it is in giving that he will get more. It is in giving that he will get more. As an example, Pastor shared with us a long time ago about uh, when you have like a pipe that is, that is blocked and filled with water, that if that water doesn't have an opportunity to go through, after a while it begins to stink. And that's how it is. When you have and you are amassing and you are holding on to whatever it is you have and not releasing it, what happens? You begin to stink after a while. The godly loves to give because he's a true pipe. As he's being given, he's taking it out and giving it out. As he's giving, he's taking it out. And because of that, he continuously remains fresh. He continually remains clean. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so we move to the next sub uh, subtopic. The heart. The heart. We're talking about the heart now. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their hearts. The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. Verse 4. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil 
actions are all sin. The righteous one knows what is going on in the homes of the wicked. It will bring disaster on them because he knows what is in their hearts. Verse 27 says, The sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives. Especially, God, God is key. What is primary to God when we gather like this is your heart. Is your heart. God is big on intent. What is the reason why you are doing what you are doing? What is the reason why you are doing what you are doing? The heart is so important. While I was reading this, I just came across uh, an, an online article today that was telling me that when, when a baby is, is being formed in the womb, that the very first organ that is created in the, in, in the fetus, that's what they call it, right? The fetus. The very first organ that is created in the fetus as the fetus starts developing is the, is the heart. That means the heart is the center of everything. And God is big on it. What is happening in your heart? I mean, this Sunday, uh, past the God doing a service, I mean, you, let me use that as an example. If you had, for instance, invited people to church, God is happy, yes. But God is more interested in why did you invite them to church? Did you invite them so that in your neighborhood they can be calling you pastor? Oh yes, some people do that. They want to carry a title. Did you invite them so that your friends, you can come and show them off that you are in a beautiful church? Or did you bring people here so that they can come and meet with Jesus? Because God knows our hearts. He will reward you based on why you do what you do. Praise God. God is big on our intents. He's big. The heart is the seedbed for all intents. And that's why God is always talking about it. You need to move very fast. The heart is key. You know, there's a story, popular story there, 1 Samuel 15, 7 to 16. I can't read it now, but it's the story of Saul. If you get home, we can read it. It's the story of Saul. The Bible makes us understand that uh, Samuel has told Saul, this is what God says, go and kill the Amalekites, wipe them out, male, female, animals, destroy everything. Saul went, took over the land, uh, destroyed, the Bible says, all the things that were not worthy, that were not good, and he took all the good things and brought them back home. When God told Samuel at night, I'm upset, I'm, I'm not happy. I, that I made Saul a king because he's not obeying me. Bible says Samuel turned in front of God and was crying to God. And, God, and in the morning when he woke up, he immediately went to look for Saul. When he got to the Saul's palace, he was not there. They told him that he's gone to a place that he just erected a monument in his name. What does that mean? He, he, the intent of his heart when he was bringing all those things back home was to come and show off. So when he got back home, the first thing he was to do was to mount a monument in his name. Not that, oh, God gave us victory, but that, no, I am now King Saul, the conqueror of the Amalekites. This is their king. Bring him out. Show him off. That's why he didn't kill him. And that was what upset God, the intent of his heart. God is big on intent. Praise the Lord. The wicked... Verse 7, 10, 15, 18, and 29. I'll run through. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to do what is just. Evil people desire evil. Their neighbors get no mercy from them. Justice, verse 15, justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. The, joy, the, the godly people, they are happy when there is justice in the land. But when evildoers hear that there's going to be justice, they are, they are afraid. They are panicking. Because they know that justice will come upon them. The wicked are punished in, a, in place of the godly. And traitors in place of the honest. Why is this so? Because God always watches out for his own people. 
The wicked will always be punished in place of the godly, which is why you have to look at what you are doing. Will you be considered as a wicked, as one of the wicked? The wicked bluff their way through, but the virtuous think before they act. Praise the Lord. Um, the mocker. Verse 11. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. If you instruct the wise, they will be all the wiser. Verse 16. The person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with, bold, with boundless arrogance. Praise the Lord. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. I ask myself, so why should you punish the walker? The mocker. Mocker is someone that's just uh, mocking. Uh, always uh, look, there's nothing positive with him. He's always, he has a good story. He's always seen the negative side. He's always trying to talk it down and on. Praise the Lord. Says, if you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. So I ask myself, why then must you punish the, the mocker? The simple reason is because everything grows. There's nothing stagnant anywhere. It's either it's growing or it's dying. So in this instance, if you leave a mocker to be a mocker, it will become a bigger mocker. So it is, in, it is needed to punish him so to kill that behavior in it. So because everything grows, if you don't want it, you kill it. If you want it, you nurture it. So a mocker, you don't want it, you take it out, you kill it. You kill that behavior. The simple-minded become wise. Why? Because he has learned. So what's he doing? He, becomes, he grows. If you instruct the wise, they will be all the wiser. So you nurture what you like, you take away what you don't like. It's a principle of life. Praise God. Everything grows. If you don't want it, you kill it. If you want it, you nurture it. Amen. The other verses that don't fall into any of these categories, I'll just run through again because of time. Then we'll take questions and we'll round up. The guilty walk a crooked path. The innocent travel a straight road. The innocent travel a straight road. It's always easier to follow a straight road. And it's always the shortest distance between point A and point B. But the guilty will always be going around and turning corners, making corners. Why? Because they want to make, also, make, make, the, make everything look difficult, look challenging, look impossible. But the innocence sees where he's going and just keeps moving forward. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Every one of us has a time that we need help. Everyone. Everyone. There was a video that was being shared a couple of weeks online, and it was someone that was explaining, using a mount, two mountains and on and on, it was talking about um, that in life, everybody goes up like a graph. More like saying that you rise up, you eat a success, then after that success, there's a possibility that you go into the valley something goes wrong, maybe you make, make a mistake and on and on, then you can possibly make it back up again. But what he was saying that was key there was that when you go on that up and you come down, then you go up again, you can actually reduce significantly your coming down the first time, and that is about who and who you connect to, who you know, who you work with, who are your friends. Because if you rise up, and when you get up there, you maintain good relationships. When you're, you're way down, there are people to drag you and say, eh, eh, don't go there. There are people to support you. There are people to help you. There are people to guide you. There are people to advise you. So we all need help. We all do. But when we ignore, the Bible is saying here that when we shut our ears to the cries of the poor, because the poor is always going to be with us. That's what the Bible tells us. When we ignore our ear to the cries of the poor, when it is our own time for help, nobody will answer. We will not ignore our ear to the cries of the poor in the name of Jesus. A secret gift calms anger and a bribe under the table pacifies fury. This is not an approval to be given bribe. 
This is just a statement, which is the truth. When you give a bribe, it pacifies fury, but it is still a bribe. The Bible does not say here that because it pacifies fury, it means that it's the only way to pacify fury. Amen. A bribe is a bribe and it's not, it's not good. Amen. Verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and honor. What you chase, you will get. When you chase it, with God. The wise conquer the city of the strong and level the fortress in which they trust. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you stay out of trouble. When I was reading it, I said, today, 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 you don't even need to talk to get into trouble anymore. It could be as simple as sending a wrong WhatsApp message or posting a wrong post on your Facebook wall. So today I would say, watch your social media page and keep your data to yourself, and you will stay out of... Amen. It's important because it's not everything that you respond to. It's not every matter that you need to get involved in. You know, to, in today's world, social media is, such, is something that even allows all sorts of people to interact with you, whether they know who you are or where you are from or what you are talking about. People just talk, wah, 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 wah. It's not everything that you respond to. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. A false witness will be cut off, but a credible witness will be allowed to speak. That is the end of our teaching today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Oh.